episode four of series two of from the platform we are in this series looking at the kind of cultural frameworks that we may have internalized without realizing and how we may look at the bible and god and our relationship with those things through these lenses and how it might be profitable to take off those lenses have a look at them what are we looking through and how is that affecting how we understand things? So we've already been through the actual revolution, how that gave rise to a, a big shift in the way that we see the world, moving from a circular worldview to a, a more narrative worldview, where you can become something other than you are. That was kind of episode two. Then we looked at how Augustine took some of the things that rose out of those worldviews, like the Greek philosophers, and incorporated them into Christianity, solved some of the problems that Gnosticism brought up. And that worldview was established and lasted for about a thousand years with Augustine. And now we get into a point where we kind of have a real crisis of meaning in the Christian worldview because of a, uh, well, because of the Crusades and what discoveries the crusades brought about so this is this is season two and the idea is it's thinking about like the history of philosophy basically to kind of think about where christadelphians emerge from and what influences christadelphian thinking and we went through so far the ideas of like the actual revolution and the idea of looking at that is just to look at one of the first kind of recorded examples of a shift in human thinking like philosophy changing to a whole new idea and to also get used to the idea that there was a time when people invented ideas and ways of thinking because now because it, it, it's really hard to think about thinking yeah, like it yeah, seems yeah. really weird that there was ever a different way to think than the way you think now. And, and there are also periods of time where we collectively all kind of resonated with an idea that kind of took over the, mm-hmm. a good majority of the world at once. So mm-hmm. it may have been that like the idea that comes out of the Axel Revolution, which is that you can move from one place to another socially and you know be- become something more than what you're cast and family are mm-hmm. would have probably existed but it kind of it came to a head in like the zeitgeist of a lot of the world at the same time in a, in a dramatic way yeah okay and then we thought about augustine so augustine was someone who brought together different strands of thinking so christianity gnosticism neoplatonism i'm just thinking kind of why was it important to talk about augustine in episode three kind of where did that how did that help us lead the history of philosophy and religion come to christadelphians it's like a stepping stone along the way from the axial revolution where we kind of set up three or four of the main new worldviews that emerge and they and to show that they kind of wove together Mm. in some sense so it's not a case of these ways of thinking the greek the hebrew the buddhist like indian ways of thinking have maintained separate courses and they've not touched they they do they have dramatically kind of interwoven okay and, and a big and, part and of that was over. augustine 
sort of bringing all of that in together into yeah, yeah, Christianity yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. Okay, so a lot of the stuff that we're talking about in terms of the history of religion and philosophy is identifying how it is that Christadelphians have turned out into this little leaf on the tree mm-hmm. and why they come off the sort of branch and the twig of Protestantism. Mm-hmm. They've really distilled the the element of that kind of academic study of the Bible and applying kind of logic and science to it and re- to the extent of really kind of rejecting mysticism and things that can't be proved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so who caused the crisis, Tom? I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> it's, um, it's Aristotle. Now, I mentioned Aristotle quite a lot in the last podcast. And he kind of does get woven into this, into the Neoplatonism that uh, Augustine takes up into Christianity. But it seems as though like his more kind of core ideas gets forgotten by the Western world because they're kind of out of sync with Plato. But the Crusades bring about the rediscovery of Aristotle because they, as they go out into the Middle East, they, they find this world which is completely consistent and coherent, but has none of the Augustinian features it's this kind of... So they don't have any Plato? Um, not, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if I can speak to that, actually. They may have Plato, but I think Aristotle is like the, the big name over there. So like Islamic maths and art and culture are really sophisticated. And there's lots of art and culture and, and, and intelligence and education. Yeah, is this like the Dark Ages? Yeah. Yeah, because the Dark Ages... Post-Roman Empire, yeah. ...is like a bit of a misnomer, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. it's Dark Ages, but only in the Western world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of the world were, like, flying... and No, not literally... Uh, flying, as in flying ahead with their knowledge, not yeah, yeah. literally inventing aeroplanes. <laughs> but, yeah, they were all, like, doing incredibly sophisticated mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. But, of course, because the Western world is all colonialist, we don't yeah, yeah, yeah. recognise But also that. it's a misnomer in the fact that even in the West, it's it's the, the Dark Ages rationally, scientifically, but it's not necessarily the Dark Ages kind of in a, in other senses, like in terms of people having a, a sense of purpose or meaning or coherence in their lives. So, the so cre- what were the Western world missing out on? Because they didn't have Aristotle. Uh, they're missing out on a rational worldview. Mm, so, like, science. Mm, mm-hmm. And they go over with the Crusades, and uh, most of the time they're killing everybody, but some of the time they're going, oh, my word, there's this, like, whole other way of being through this philosophy that we haven't had access to in, in a thousand years. That actually makes a lot of sense, and this causes a bit of a crisis for uh, the way in which we view the world. And the way in which they view the world, which is through um, kind of Neoplatonism and Augustine, is this mystical worldview. And that's to say that mysticism is the view that knowledge is obtainable by means other than reason or the senses. Okay, so there's some way in which you can have a revelation that, that hasn't come from... A calculator. You've, you, yeah, you, yeah. you've seen and, and heard or you've worked out. Mm-hmm but can just be like divine from God. And, and this comes straight from Plato because Plato has the idea of the, the forms and they're in this like heavenly realm somewhere. And in order to experience the forms, you've got to experience them in, in another life. And so there's this whole kind of scaffolding around how you look at the world, which is entirely mystical, but was kind of accepted and, and understood in that kind of a way. 
Aristotle comes along and says, well, in the writings of, Ar of Aristotle, he's contradicting Plato directly because he's, he's a peer of, of Plato's. And he says, no, it's not that everything has some sort of perfect form up in the heavens. It's that all the chairs kind of, we just understand chairishness from the collection of chairs that we experience in our actual lives. And we, we kind of create that universality from those particular things. And that's just something we can do. It's not that there is a universal version of it that exists. There's not a mystical reason. It's yeah. just an obvious pattern recognition thing that your brain does. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so he's not a mystic. Aristotle is the Christadelphian's friend. Mm -hmm. He rejects mysticism and he likes the... Is it in the natural sciences or natural philosophy? So it's all things to do with... Like the world of physical things and observable stuff. Yeah. And he also like I think he also talks about kind of like rights and morality and morals, but they're again they're still kind of based in the natural world. They're about mm -hmm. humans and observable mm -hmm. things that humans do. So yeah. that had sort of got lost then with Augustine. Augustine. Yes, it did. Uh, but it gets rediscovered during the Crusades because the Christians go over to the Middle mm. East who still have uh, Aristotle. Mm. and rediscover those ideas. And so they just happened to sort of ha keep, like, scrolls of his writing were, you know, or something they had massive like libraries and stuff, yeah, didn't yeah. they? Um, things that got all Whereas the Western world... Do, like, do we know why that got lost? I couldn't tell you. No. No, I don't I'm know sure why I'm sure there's a YouTube the video on it. Um, I'm, I'm amazed that the Crusades... That really changes my idea of what the Crusades are. Because like I know I just I've I've listened to a podcast about Eleanor of Aquitaine and when her stupid husband decides to go on a crusade to the glory of God and it's 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 like a disaster beyond disaster some sort oh it's awful and she insists on taking like all these servants all oh, these she goes with it. oh yeah she definitely she's like she's Eleanor of Aquitaine she yeah, goes I'm, everywhere I'm she's hardcore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, it is absolutely awful. So the idea that any crusades were non-bloodbathy <laughs> enough to like get some scrolls out and speak to philosophers <laughs> is amazing to me. So, you know, crusades yeah. aren't all bad. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. No, um, they, they were quite bad. So we've got Aquinas coming along and he's saying, Augustine, nice job bringing everything together. However, you've missed out Aristotle. We found this guy, Aristotle. Crusades are back. Stuff we found some stuff that we're a bit worried about. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty compelling stuff as well. Yeah. From, from so in what way doesn't it tie Aristotle? in? Just because it reje rejects kind of mysticism stuff, which... So there's the idea of the soul, okay, and versus the body. And in the Christian tradition, obviously, the soul is this kind of more ethereal and... And it's kind of can be separated from the body and it can go off into heaven and whatnot. Mm, and okay. I heard somebody say that actually when you look in the Bible, it's not that clear what the soul is. Like it's kind mm. of an ambiguous term. Mm. But Plato has a more kind of structured idea of what the soul is, which kind of gets exacted by Christians, taken up and, and gone, well, we'll mm. use that as kind mm. of a reference to the soul. And I guess it relates to the fact that Plato, his idea of the forms, that there was always a sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. greater perfect version this of things essence, in another... Essence, which is like another... the soul of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can really see where the ideas of kind of souls and souls going to heaven or... Mm -hmm. and yeah. even kind so of your like... soul returns back up to, yeah. the, to the place, the one up in the, up in the sky. Yeah, because that's quite a common trope, the idea that you exist before you're born. So mm -hmm. people say, you know, like when, when a baby's born, it's sort of like, oh, 
they already existed you know, in heaven. Twinkle in the yeah, father's yeah, eye. Yeah, yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a kind of big reason for kind of general mysticism and also the idea of yeah, yeah. heaven it, and so heaven and hell. this is also how Augustine explains and comes up with the idea of original sin, okay? Mm. So because all bodies have the share the same form and there is therefore one human form up in the heavens mm. that is like the, the template for them yeah. all, Adam's sin has this kind of ripple effect right, throughout. Right, because he's the OG human template. He's the OG human. Mm-hmm. His sin like affects the form of humanity. Right, okay, in uh, a mystical way. In so a that's kind mystical of, way, yeah. yeah, yeah. Things. And so when we come to the rediscovery of Aristotle, he's not a mystic, mm-hmm. and he sees things more, I guess, logically. For example, mm. he says, no, the chair's that are are similar and have a similar form don't exist somewhere else they take their form from being part of a category of of similar things which Mm. to us sounds obvious but at the time it was like what are you talking about it's clearly like a mystical chair up in the sky (laughs) (laughs) that's what everyone believed and so when he looks at the soul he looks at the soul in a similar way he 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 actually sees it as as uh something that is kind of part of the essence of the body as a whole. And when the body dies, the soul dies as well. This is why rediscovering Aristotle throws in a lot of issues for Christianity because he's looking at things rationally and in his world there's no soul that goes off and exists after you die. One of the main things that Aquinas does is he allows this concession from the Catholic Church to say that actually you can have knowledge and understanding of the world that is true and real without having to have a religious Christian experience because they found this whole other part of the world that are not Christian Mm. and yet very intellectual, sophisticated, insightful. Mm. So there's this thing of like... And in fact a lot more than them. Yeah, Mm. in many ways. And so they, they, now it's it's Aquinas that take this Thomas Aquinas that takes up the kind of the job of of integrating Aristotle into into the Catholic Christian tradition, and he does this by saying, okay, maybe there are two worlds. There's one world in which mystical things and kind of miracles can happen, mm-hmm. and we'll call that yeah, the super. Yeah, miracles are still a thing, aren't they? Like, the Bible isn't a rational, like a scientific rational book. There's stuff no. Yeah, there's stuff in it. Faith like, and all that kind of stuff. And the main things for the people at the time were, like, the Incarnation, the Immaculate Conception, the Trinity, these things that are kind of not logical. But because of this discovery, they don't throw out Christianity completely. It's like it's a bedrock of, of their worldview. Mm. They, they can't get rid of it. And, and they wouldn't get rid of it. Um, and so what Aquinas does, he says, okay, there's a supernatural world in which God's will reigns and, and miracles and, and things happen. And there's also a natural world in which reason and rationality can be applied and you can get predictable results and you can, you can follow kind of scientific methods although the scientific method comes a lot later, but kind of you can follow, like, deduction mm-hmm. and... Um, like observable and testable things. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the other big differences between Plato and Aristotle that kind of get brought up through Augustine and Aquinas is the idea that 
Aristotle has this idea that God does not move. All right? As in God is immovable. He's an immovable force. And Aristotle thinks that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he calls God the unmoved mover. Mm-hmm. In that everything reaches its potential in God, but God itself has no potential to fulfil. So what God is Aristotle talking about? I think it's more of a general kind of deity idea, like the oneness. So Aristotle still believes that there is a God. Just just for clarity, what culture and... Greek culture. Okay. Because this isn't necessarily tying with my very basic knowledge of the Greek gods. Where there's just lots of them. I think that's that's a much older ancient Greek history. Okay. Uh, like, really, really old. So Plato introduced the idea of the one, okay? Mm-hmm. And Aristotle's the one that, that, that creates the uh, normative order, which is the one that goes from plant to animal to, like, human rational being, and then above that is kind of... Um, deities. Deities and things. So Aristotle doesn't completely go without deification of things. And... He says that everything reaches its potential in God, so everything is kind of almost being drawn and compelled upwards to God, like like tractor beams. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But God itself has no potential to fulfil. So and so he's thinking if there's a if there's a complete unity of being, this one that Plato talks about, then it must have no potential to fulfil because it is pure being. And who says this, sorry? Aristotle. Okay. Okay. So the deity, God, doesn't move. So Plato's God will reach down to you and move you, come to, come to you and bring you up, right? It's moving. It's like this God that comes down, brings love and lifts you up. And Augustine takes that into the Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. But Aristotle has this God that can't, like doesn't move but only like tractor beams things towards it um, like bringing it towards it and he says movement implies change but god is unchanging okay so god can't move right mm-hmm. this is a very logical way of si- of seeing things as well okay you know because he's very logical and change also implies potential right if mm-hmm. god is going to change then he has the potential to change but God, God shouldn't have any change. God shouldn't have any potential because it's just this pure super being. Mm-hmm. Like, why would it ever need to move or do anything? It should just attract people to it. Because mm, it's kind of perfection. It's got nowhere else to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the Neoplatonic Augustinian idea of God moving and reaching down to us in love in order to draw us up is exchanged for the idea that God is something we are drawn to like a piece of chocolate cake that calls to us. You have a bit of chocolate cake sat on the side, it's like, oh, really want that. Mm-hmm. Like the chocolate cake isn't like beckoning you or or, or doing anything yeah. to so like... So a bit like gravity, it's like irresistible. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then we have to fight against our own will in order to hold open the space for that desire to be with God and not let it get flooded with trivial and temporal things. So you, you're now fighting against your will for other things that can flood and get in the way of this kind of being drawn to God. Mm-hmm. So a fast car, right? 
I really want a super swanky sports car. That that's drawing me towards it, but I should I should move that out of the way and allow myself to be drawn to God. Where's the should? Where where's this sort of judgment value that you should go towards God and not a fast car? Because it kind of seems like almost this the the idea of this God is a sort of unmovable, kind of almost unthinking being mm. that just like gravity kind of draws you towards it. Yeah. Now all of a sudden there's this moral narrative of like, oh, and you should, and you should go towards it. Yeah. yeah Whereas yeah. that's not being drawn towards something. That's fighting to get towards it. This sounds more like you're fighting. Well, your you're, you're fighting things, you're fighting other things away from you. But why would you want to? Because surely now they're more irresistible than that pure being. They're more powerful. But they're, they're they are transient and... They're, they're illusions. So they're, they're not actually good. You're being deceived. I, I think a lot of this comes in to Christianity in that kind of, I've got to now, like, f- struggle with myself. Because yeah. I think the reason I've found that difficult to understand is because it's so much like the very common metaphors of you've got to sort of fight your way up the hill, you've got to do the straight and narrow path, you've got to mm, go the mm-hmm. difficult way. So that doesn't make me think of something that is irresistible because it's sort of it's not sort I'm not of sure if irresistible like, yeah, so is that's coming the wrong into way of it. describing it, yeah. think, isn't it? It's a different type of attraction. Something that you know is worth it but is hard to get to. Yeah. So not something that draws you towards it. It's something that you have to fight towards. I think so. It says I've got here. Aristotle saw things as moving towards God, not as God moving towards them. They are compelled to seek fulfilment of their potential in God, and Aquinas sees this as the Christian God drawing us to Himself. And is it more to do with the idea that you've either got a sort of perfect, unchanging deity who doesn't need to change, doesn't need to do anything because it's just perfection, and because of that perfection? imperfect things like humans are like wow that's incredible i want to strive to be like that and work mm, towards that perfection mm. whereas the other one was that was it the guy with the forms plato plato had an idea that god reaches down and is trying to pull you up yeah, yeah so is yeah, it yeah. kind of like author almost anthropomorphizing that's a word that god who is sort of like yeah, kind which of makes like sense because like our world. the the more logical you get, the more I think God becomes impersonal and becomes like a cosmic force that kind of is like a consciousness that just exists, and you're compelled to kind of be drawn towards it. Yeah, because as soon as um, it starts, and to like act in like your you. life, you can make mistakes and you can go the wrong way, and you, which is what sin is missing the mark. You can miss the mark and go in the wrong direction, and then but eventually you kind of come back around to realizing the way you should have been going, right? And I think this that's what this is. This, com- this compelling that's drawing you towards God is this kind of like you're meandering, but you're kind of going in the right direction. Then you'll go off course and you'll realise that like, life will tell you that that was the wrong direction because you'll come up cro- across like bad stuff or like unhealthy stuff. Mm. Like you'll go towards alcoholism instead. Oh, that's compelling. I'll go towards that. And you end up like a, in a terrible state. And then you like come try you try and get your way back onto the straight and narrow and back up towards like com- this being drawn by God again. So there are other things that kind of become more attractive, but they're more temporal and transitory, whereas God is like eternal and and ever tractor beaming you towards Him. But yeah, the difference is with Plato, God has more of a reaching down to you whilst you're reaching up to Him. And is that a more mystic 
idea. Yeah, yeah. So that's some more in line with Catholicism when people are sort of made saints and see things happen and you have the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues and mm, I, the more kind of well, mysticism Well, I don't think the Catholics speak in tongues. Um, Sorry, I just meant, um, I didn't mean necessarily Catholic, but the more mystic, mystical side of Christianity where God intervenes on earth and, you know, and yeah, saints yeah, 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 can yeah, yeah. suddenly have powers and people have the Holy but Spirit. But then again, we have our own version of this as well. It's like when... Um, but yeah, answers to prayer, basically. Answers to prayer that are like, yeah, I was thinking about this person, I was praying about them, then they called. Mm. It's like, ah, oh, God's done something mm. here. And it's this kind of like intervention yeah. that happens and God is like putting things in the right position mm. for you. So how do those two different views of God then, How why is that interesting for Christadelphians to think about? Because the God that is no longer reaching down to you it's it's kind of like there's this there's this you moving away from God. You can't beat yourself up more about it. I was gonna say it's your fault. Yeah, yeah, it's your fault if you're not being drawn towards God. It's because you've been distracted by things and like there's this like woe is me. Like oh, I'm I'm so bad. I'm always sinful. You know that kind of mm-hmm. beating yourself up spirituality stuff. Whereas I think the Platonic one is more kind of joyful and God's got your back kind of thing. Mm. It's like... So you think maybe potentially this is another way in which Christadelphians have strayed too far towards one type of God? Yeah, yeah, which ties in with, like, it it comes from a rational way of seeing things. It's like this very logical, mathematical kind of thing that Aristotle does, which is like, well, hold on, if God changes, that means that he's... It's not perfect. He's not perfect. That means he he must be, like... So the only way is to have this static being that we have to to strive towards. Yeah. Whereas, I guess, mysticism allows for some sort of narrative to kind of space around God for him to act and change. I mean, more like humans as well, the idea yeah, of yeah, bridging yeah. and striving. So it's like a bridging of a gap there. So that's another, like, interesting difference that Aquinas has to kind of bring in. And again, I think that that means, like, this, this separation of natural from supernatural means that... Uh, there's like the natural world and God doesn't really do anything to help the natural world. It's like left to its own devices. But then there's a spiritual world where God does act in love and, and you get that kind of disparity as well. Can you do a really quick sentence on why Thomas Aquinas is important to a Christadelphian? Thomas Aquinas is important to Christadelphians. It's because he makes an allowance for the rational in parallel with the mystical. And Christadelphians love rationality. Yeah, and I think we, we have more of a focus on rationality. Like, we, we try and rationalise things like the creation story and Noah's flood and, like, how Jonah spent three days and three nights in a whale. When it appears as though, to me, those stories are not are not trying to bring something rational about. They're kind of using a narrative to help you to learn lessons. Mm-hmm. They're not using... Science and logic. Yeah, necessarily. So you're kind of saying that the rationality, which is a big part of the Christadelphian church, it's important to remember that this was a kind of new approach that came from Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas sort of bringing it in. Mm-hmm. So if you can look at it as a type of thinking and a way of approaching something, you can also step back and wonder if you're doing it and to what degree you're doing it. And maybe if you're doing it too much, is there a downside to that? 
And have you lost some of the mysticism side? Yeah. And, and on the historical narrative as well, this is the beginning of the separation of many things that would have otherwise kind of been in tandem. Uh, so like faith gets separated out from reason. And in the Romantic period, love gets separated out from reason as well, because love and faith go together and reason kind of is separated out from it. And so then you end up with like reason being taken forward without love and you end up with like the Industrial Revolution. Like there's no, it's just growth for growth's sake and like... Like America. And you get like the workhouses and you get terrible slavery and, and things like that. But parallel to it, there is this like faith and love but it's it's happening because church and state have also been separated. Church is the place for your faith and love. The state is the place for your rationality and industriousness. Mm -hmm. Another place this gets separated out is the idea of the body and mind. So as you, when you get to Descartes and he says, I think, therefore I am, he's literally saying, because I have rationality and cognition, that's, that's how I know I exist. And it seems to be this really kind of topsy-turvy way of thinking because... I know I exist because of my body mainly, like, and, and my sensory information. Mm -hmm. But he's he's dismissing all of that for pure logic and like pure maths as well. He's trying to kind of just get a mathematical reason for why we exist. Make sense? Mm, I'm not sure what that has to do with Christadelphians. Well, the, these are like the this these the are the hyper rational kind of, things that come out of this. Yeah, yeah, okay. and. Um, and are you I think, worried that Christadelphians are potentially a kind of hyper-rational branch of the Protestant? Yeah, and um, kind of what are we missing from, you know, there's like things like embodied experiences mm -hmm. that we don't take on board as a, a, a way of seeing truth. Would you also say that the idea of church and state, as in you can go to the, you know, to the meeting and you read the Good Samaritan and someone tells you a story about, why that means that you should do the readings and always go to church mm, mm. and then you just go back the next day to your business where you don't pay people properly and you import stuff from Bangladesh that's made mm, in a mm, sweatshop mm. and that kind of thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um yeah the other place that I see this is we've, we've done the episode on the right and left hemisphere as well right like way yes. back in series one and that lays out the idea that the left hemisphere likes a, a representation of the world, like a, like a schema or a map of things, whereas the right hemisphere actually gets stuck into the world itself and lives it. And there seems to be this kind of similar thing of like, the left hemisphere sees the real world as the world that's mappable and categorizable, kind of the Aristotelian way of thinking. But the right hemisphere allows for more ambiguity, allows for more both and scenarios right mm -hmm. and i heard this really good thing about computer games in that computer games get us into the flow state we love computer games because it gives us a, a narrative and a set of rules and a way of upgrading to kind of get into the flow state and really enjoy ourselves every time we get to the next level we get like a kick of dopamine it's like oh great i'm leveling up i'm gonna you know get into the boss soon or something like that but it's all virtual in many ways, computer games don't bleed into the real world. They're not transferable. It's not like like you were saying about the Good Samaritan and real life. It's like, and sometimes I think, can we take Bible verses, get that big kind of almost like 
dopamine rush of like, oh, this links to that, that links to this. Oh, isn't this brilliant? How, how amazing. And you're like, oh, that was incredible. I really enjoyed that Bible study. But none of it becomes transferable to actual life. Like you say, you just go back to your work and you you carry on doing the things you're doing. Yeah. There might like, be a statement at the end. And this is why we put our trust in Jesus. Then in the car on the way home, you're like, what, what does it mean to put my trust in Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how to cross-reference several verses together and feel really intelligent like feel really like oh wow that's beautiful like a sense of beauty to it but that beauty needs to be like yeah applicable to the real world what do i do when i see that homeless person in the street like Mm -hmm. should i get them something should i donate to a homeless charity should i Mm-hmm. make friends with them yeah it's just sort yeah, of like well yeah, what yeah. does yeah. adopt them as my own child <laughs> so like i think this this there's a lot of this it goes back to plato and aristotle uh in many ways because there's a separation mm-hmm. there of representing things logically and literally and one is like one is it's wrong on many levels but it's kind of or it's lived if that makes sense mm, the mystic side yeah i'm not advocating for like all that mysticism, but mysticism is more to do with embodied nature than it is to do with rationality. Mm. And I feel like we're wholesale on rationality, but what are we missing? What haven't? What have we forgotten to integrate mm. from the other mm. side of things? And especially maybe if you've been a Christadelphian all your life, you might have potentially either you think, oh yes, it's all absolutely ridiculous, I don't need it at all. Or you might what feel, is, what is uh, sorry, mysticism. Mm. Or you might feel a bit of a kind of longing when you walk into a beautiful church or a cathedral or uh, listen to like a call mm. to prayer, those mm. sorts of things. Say, oh, wow, that that is amazing. Mm. That like mm. really gets me somewhere. And I wonder if there's room for that. Going back to that computer game thing, Jonathan Peugeot says that big churches are like computer games because they are a map. They are a contained, like, microcosm Mm -hmm. of the christian journey there's gargoyles on the outside and you've got to kind of go go from the fringes and find the center and you can level up and and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and there's like it's it's supposed to be a kind of um you you adopt a different disposition as soon as you walk in Mm. you act differently and you 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 navigate it differently. You navigate it differently. So do you mean, is, is the pertinent point there the fact that you can switch it on and off? As in, it's a Sunday thing and then you go back to work on Monday exploiting people? Um, no, it's he's trying to say that you, you switch it on and then you kind of you embody this way of being in this different, very different world, this building, mm-hmm. and then that should bleed into your real life. You should then take that away with you oh right isn't it's like a nourishing thing yeah yeah and it's something that should be like uh you you take the seed of that with you and you Mm. try and map that onto reality so you've got a kind of safe world where you can Mm -hmm. experience it all Mm -hmm. yeah right thanks for listening everyone um hopefully that's been enjoyable and uh, we'll see you next time thanks bye